Three, two, one. New episode of Connecting the Classics, launching in the theme song. John Cale, you know more than I know. This is Connecting the Classics, and I'm Will Hagel, the Burbank teller, uh, music writer, music enthusiast, unofficial music professor. And I'm Lee, the Rhode Island scholar, unofficial, unaccredited music professor, music enthusiast, music curator, bedroom producer. (laughs) Hey, but you know more than I know. Connecting the Classics is a weekly competitive radio hour where Lee and I choose two classic albums. We discuss each of those albums. We play a song from each of our own albums and connect back to the other person's album. And we see how many times we can say album. Uh, Connections can be anything from a similar name to a similar sound or sample. Uh, But I'll get from my album to Lee's album three songs or less, resulting in six songs of separation. Kevin Bacon style. And Lee will do the same in the opposite direction. And we, we award each other points, but the points don't matter whose line is it anyway style. And you can award points as you listen along. Let us know you think won the episode by emailing us at connectingtheclassics at gmail.com or tweeting at us at ctcpod. And we'll read an email on the air if we ever get one. We'll also Venmo or Cash App you $1 if you suggest a theme that we'll use on the show. Which reminds me, really quick, let's get into yeah. a little J.J. Kale, Ride Me High. Nice. I've been talking, so you can deduct points because I've been talking for the first 15 minutes of the podcast without Lee getting a word in. Well, didn't we get a, You were, we got a writer, we got someone who wrote in. Yeah, we got someone who wrote in, so let's quickly read it on the air. We don't want to give him too much airtime. Um, <laughs> this person's name is Will. I'll leave out the last name, but i okay. just letting you know it's not me. Uh, Will suggested a list of themes, so I thought maybe we could just quickly award him points based on what he suggested, or maybe we can use them. I'll read them off. Number one, regional bangers. Okay. Not a bad idea. Yeah, that could work. We've done on the previous rendition of the podcast, like California episode. Maybe we could do a Rhode Island episode to talk about nothing. Uh, <laughs> next, we got ethnic bangers. I think that's a no. That's a minus five for me, dog. <laughs> Talk about getting canceled. Yeah. Songs to wake up to. I like that a lot. And last one, albums that make you want to fight. Ooh, that's nice. I like, that's my favorite, I think. But this episode has no theme. Uh, We just each chose random albums. So what did you choose this week? Well, quickly, I want to just add for albums that make you want to fight. We had an icebreaker that was like, what's a song that you never want to hear again that like gets stuck in your head i feel like that could also be an interpretation of that theme all right never mind delete me so album i chose was (laughs) i'm just thinking are you associating like a song you never want to hear again because it made you fight or because you got in a fight and you listened to like coldplay fix you I'm thinking it's like a song that makes you so uncomfortable that you want to fight someone. That's That was my reading of it. <laughs> I like that. And hey, you can take the themes in whatever way you want to go on Connecting the Classics. And when there's no theme, you can go wherever you want. But for this episode, 
uh, I went with Big Star, uh, which is kind of one of those like cult bands, or you know, it kind of has a lot of love in the like record store type community. I don't think they really ever made it big. Um, very curious your take on the album. Uh, this is their third album, and it's titled Third, uh, and it's sort of the be- it's pretty much the uh, breakup of the band. One of the members is kind of having a mental breakdown. There's a lot of tension. Uh, I was even reading a quote that said, I don't even know if I consider this a big star album. It was really just the guitarist trying to do his own material. Because one uh, of the members died, right? I was reading that on Wikipedia. Yeah. Before and, this album. Like one yeah. of the seminal member or founding members. And the other guy, Alex Chilton, is the guitarist who's kind of like having a mental breakdown, but also trying to have a solo career so it's just this weird tension and you kind of get this like schizophrenic album where like you'll go from you know a ballad like Jesus is born which is like a weird Christmas song to these like really sad ballads yeah I was not expecting uh, Jesus is born to pop out of nowhere yeah okay a little gospel which will be even that web later the album's kind of all over the place but I thought it was a good chance to kind of sit down and listen to Big Star um, so yeah, then you fired back with, so yeah, we'll get into that more in a second, maybe jump into it now, but I picked Mavis Staples, Mavis Staples, and we can talk about that after we get into a little big star, I think. All right. Yeah. Let's jump in. My track was big star nighttime. Nice. Great album, by the way. See the people, echoes cool and hurrying on my way, and dressings are sweet. All the people to see, they're looking at me. All the people to see. In my notes while I was listening to the album, one of them that I wrote down was Nighttime. Good. Nice. So for this one, I added to my notes, this album reminded me of one part the Beatles' White Album, one part Elliot Smith, which I thought this sounded a lot like Elliot Smith, and then one part the Birds' Country Western Rock. Wow, I'll give you three parts of points for that. Hey, thanks. I didn't see the Elliot Smith connection, but I can definitely hear it now that you say that and i read that this album was kind of like like all of big stars albums were panned a little bit when they came out but then they went on to be super influential especially to like alternative rock bands of the 80s and 90s yeah i almost feel like to be a cult classic you have to be rejected by the mainstream I love this. This almost reminded me of like Titus Andronicus or like yeah. 
emo music. I hate it. Get me out of here. Ego's cool. Hurrying on my way, glancing your eyes, fell through the skies, glancing your eyes. So the memory you're talking about, Chris Bell is part of the 27 Club. He died at age 27. Right. But yeah, I thought that was super pretty song. It was actually covered by Elliot Smith. I um, looked it up. Oh. Because I, I had to feel... It sounds like he's influenced by this band. Um, this album is 1978, something like that. Uh, released a couple years after it was recorded, but, you know, still in the 70s. So Elliot Smith, probably a young lad when he's finding this stuff. But you but, didn't think of that, or you didn't know that he covered it before you thought of that connection? Yeah, yeah. Just the singing style reminded me a lot of Elliot Smith. Wow, I'm going to give you a big star, five-sided star on that. Nice. 500 points. Hey, getting it started strong here. All right, yep. let's jump to Mavis, though. I mean, another heavy hitter. Yeah, so part of the reason why I picked I picked Mavis Staples' debut album called Mavis Staples, but it kind of goes into what we were talking about with, like, in order to be a cult classic, you have to kind of be overlooked and then... Like later on, you maybe get your respect. And I feel like that's not necessarily true for Mavis Staples, but she's one of those people. Speaking of the music writing game, I had an idea for a while to do a series called Living Obituaries, where it's, you know, actually did one on John Cale. And that's my John Cale get out of jail free card for the episode. <laughs> but uh, just we always praise musicians when they die, but then there's all these old musicians who are alive who are going to get praised when they die, but you might as well praise them now. Not necessarily an original yeah. thought, but anyways, I feel like Mavis Staples kind of fits into that. Yeah. I was actually surprised that she hadn't passed. I thought I remembered her dying. Yeah. It's one of those people who you kind of <laughs> think that. <laughs> um, and for some reason, Big Star, when you sent that to me, I kind of thought it was a country band for some reason. So I was looking up, is yeah. like, they're a band called Big Something? Or you would consider Big Star Country. They have that influence of kind of that slidey guitar sound. But I, not, yeah. they're not like a country rock group, I don't think. So I was kind of trying to think of a country album. Then I somehow ended up on Amy Winehouse. And I was like, you know, don't need to talk about her anymore. Don't need Blue-Eyed Soul coming into it. So I was like, might as well take it to what Amy Winehouse was kind of influenced by. Mm -hmm. And then I saw my vinyl copy that I'm holding up for the camera that I got of Ma of this album, Mavis Staples, Mavis Staples. Nice. Through Vinyl right. Me Please. We're going to launch into points. it, don't worry. I'll give you uh, 10 Released points. on Volt Records and launching into one of my favorite songs outside of Mavis Staples, but I like her rendition a lot. You Send Me, the final track on the album. Nice. Darling, you send me Both albums with tons of great strings. Weaving strings across records. Um, I love her voice though, because it's 
kind of like, I don't know if you'd call it middle. It's a little raspy and like. It's definitely lower than you'd expect. Lower than you'd expect, Baby, exactly. You, you me. She was a member of the Staple Singers, uh, who were kind of a family band that her dad, Roebuck Pop Staples, put together. And they did like gospel and R&B. They have the greatest family name. I wrote this down. You've got Cleotha, Purvis, Yvonne, and Mavis. I was thinking Roebuck is a great name too. The dad's name. Yeah, the, yeah. You got Daddy Roebuck. Yeah, or Sears Robux, or Robex Juice. And then the Staples Singers, as you know, they were recently renamed to the Crypto.com Singers. Nice. <laughs> marry me, where she says in this, I want you to marry me and take me home. Uh, Bob Dylan legendarily once proposed to her. Goes the story. So good. But I think this is a great love song in general. And just the idea of you send me, I think, is a great kind of verb, I guess, that's not really used as much today. Like, you send me. I don't really know what it means, so I think but I know this what it is means. A Sam Cooke song. Is, is it? Do you know who originally did this? Sam Cooke definitely pop, popularized it. Um, yeah. So that's this the other thing. Both your album had a bunch of covers. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Including a Velvet Underground cover. Right. Femme Fatale, John Cale, Get Out of Jail, Free Card Again. Yeah. Um, so Sam Cooke was the original version. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you did this on purpose, but um, Mavis's album was recorded by Stax musicians. Volt is the sister label of Stax Records. Mm. And um, Steve Cropper, who was like the lead guitarist, did guitar on her album and also played Femme Fatale for uh, the Big Star album. Wow. So we'll just use that one connection and the episode's over. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, you're, you just stacked up all the points. Hey, you send me. <laughs> I sent no, you darling. some points. Uh, <laughs> um. All right, are you passing it back? Do you want do you anything else? I'm gonna send Mavis? it back. I'm gonna send it back over to you, but we'll be talking more about sending things later on. Yeah, I love the pick. I definitely think, as you alluded to, um, she was such a like she was the backbone. She was a staple of the staple singers. And so to see her kind of get her chance, you know, I think almost like ten years after staple singers have been kind of like doing their thing. Um, was cool to, to see her become like a big star. Uh, so I totally feel <laughs> you on that, yeah. that use of the theme. And no, no, I'm being dead serious though. Like 1969 is this album. I think the Staple Singers were making stuff in like the late 50s. Yeah. So And then even like I was saying about Living Obituaries, like she's 83 years old now and she's still making new music, performing and just as great yeah. as ever. So it's kind of an impressive run. Totally. Um, but we'll be going on a run so, later. Yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be talking all about gospel and sort of the roots of the Staple Singers. But let's get back to Big Star. So the other weird coincidence that happened that I wasn't expecting uh, is Big Star is actually 
a Memphis group. I don't, I didn't really associate that with the music. Yeah. I thought that was great. That could be sort of the like Southern, you know, birds style influence. True rock and roll. Cause that was all, yeah, that was all coming out of like Nashville in the sixties. Um, so, uh, going back though to Memphis got me thinking of, you know, who is the king of Memphis? Um, Ooh, young Dolph. And we haven't talked about young Dolph, but no, I'm not thinking young Dolph here. I'm thinking Mr. Mr. BB King. So anything. when you're in the nighttime, you're in the midnight hour. Oh, give me 12 points for that. This is 1985, so this is BB King and his uh, Jerry Curl phase. This is, you know, the Jerry Pickett, uh, or not Jerry, Wilson, Wilson Pickett, um, who was a big uh, musician on Stax Records. But I wanted to pick a B.B. King song because I actually just watched the Elvis movie. Have you seen that yet? I watched the first 10 minutes and turned it off as the worst thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, there's a there's a role that B.B. King plays in it. Um, I think it's de- debated whether or not you know, they were as close to friends as maybe they portray in the movie. But it called to my attention sort of the music scene that was happening in Memphis. Uh, they call out Beale Street, which is like a famous uh, area in Memphis that had like B.B. King. Supposedly Elvis would, would walk there and, uh, you know, watch musicians and sometimes perform. And that's kind of where he picked up some of his like R&B, rock and roll influence. Yeah, for a city I've never been to, or I guess I went as a kid, and I grew up really only like seven hours away from Memphis, it's my favorite city in the world, even though I've never been there. But I feel like they just put out such great music historically, and also yeah. great barbecue. Yeah, I need it. It makes me want to visit. Um, but yeah, obviously BB King, a huge staple of blues music, and I guess he was like constantly playing. Uh, and, you know, was the main musician of that scene. I've always liked B.B. King, but I've always kind of felt like this weird thing of B.B. King is like pop, whereas Buddy Guy and Muddy Waters are the greatest. And they're not as yeah. celebrated, but I think BB King's great too. He definitely well, I'm not went doing really him. poppy though. Yeah, as I say, I'm not doing him any favors by playing this era of yeah. music. <laughs> I mean, the people love it. 
Uh, I was going to say that. I think they also portray... Um, what's her name? I think it's Big Mama Thornton. Whoever originally did Hound Dog, she's also in the movie. As B. Don't like they consider her as the like one of the people who invented rock and roll, basically? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how the movie pitches it, is that Beale Street had, like, Little Richard was performing there, and, like, you know, the beginnings of rock and roll, which I guess evolve out of R&B. But Baz you know, Luhrmann. Supposedly was in Beale, Beale Street. Baz Luhrmann just goes nuts with a million cuts per yeah. second, and it's just very intense, and then Tom Hanks in a fat suit. That was insane. That was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it was too much to handle. Um <laughs> I'd rather get my Elvis news from you on CTC. All right, perfect. We're well, in for a treat. All right, you sending it, it back? You sending it? I'm sending it. All right, we left off with Mavis Staples. You send me talking about uh, movies. Um, Mavis Staples was in the Last Waltz Bob Dylan movie. You talked about Bob Dylan and the band. Um, as as I said, Bob Dylan proposed to her and she turned him down. You know. Weaving webs across episodes on the showers episode, we talked about Wilco, Jeff Tweedy, lead singer of Wilco. Mavis Staples also did a collaborative album with Jeff Tweedy and Wilco and went on tour with them and performed a bunch. Uh, Weaving back to Bob Dylan and the band, the band was Bob Dylan's backing band. Launching into Wilco and Mavis Staples, warming up backstage before their show uh, in Chicago, where Mavis Staples was born, and Jeff Tweedy was not born, but was raised into Wilco, uh, launching into all those people, plus Nick Lowe, English guy, not Amy Winehouse, rehearsing the weight. <laughs> So just imagine Wilco packed into a tiny little dressing room. Mavis Stables standing there. They're just playing acoustic. So everyone's singing along. I just love this impromptu performance where, you know, it's just her natural voice just crushing it still. She's like an old woman at this point, you know? Yeah, she's so good. Shows a acoustic version of this song even though the band is notable as Bob Dylan's first electric backing band so this is Nick Lowe nice Apparently, he's a noted figure in power pop and new wave. I've never heard of him. Well, look, my 
And he also plays harmonica, talking about the blues. For the listeners, oh, uh, Jeff Tweedy coming in. He loves Mavis Staples, and his voice kind of reminded me of the big star guy on "Life Is Miserable" or whatever he says. Nice. A little shaky voice. First lyric of the song, pulled into Nazareth, weaving webs to big star Jesus song. Nice. I think this song is probably in one of those things that's enhanced by the visual, so I recommend everyone go look it up, but you can imagine it too. Also, the Staple Singers uh, recorded this song on their 1968 album, Soul Folk in Action. Sounds good. Um, Really quick quote from Mavis Staples in a New Yorker piece on her this year where she's talking about how she doesn't want to burden anyone. Like she has to use a wheelchair in the airport. Uh She says, I talked to the Lord. I asked him, why am I still here? My whole family is gone. What do you want of me? What am I supposed to do? Have you kept me up for a reason? And the only reason I could see is to sing my songs, which I feel like is a great quote that, you know, she's just singing her whole life, carrying it on. Great singer, sending it back. Nice. Give you a hundred points for that connection. Let's see. I'm trying to think. We left off with "In the Midnight Hour," uh, a cover of a Wilson Pickett song. Uh, reading that, uh, actually, that song was composed in the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, 
which is considered a historic site due to the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. on its balcony. Right. Um, so staying Launching into here, Lil Wayne. <laughs> staying on theme standing here on the with, balcony. All right. uh, Memphis and B.B. King and Elvis. We're going to be launching into Elvis's response uh, to the MLK assassination. He had a Christmas special scheduled uh, and he refused to sing, you know, like Jingle All the Way or Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. And instead, he composed an original song inspired by MLK's assassination and recorded it for the Christmas special. This is Elvis Presley. Elvis wow. Presley. Christmas. If I can dream. Memphis. Christmas in Memphis. And Elvis. Weaving so many webs. Hey, I used to listen. My parents used to play B.B. King's Christmas album every year. Wow. There must be lights burning brighter somewhere. Got to be birds flying higher in a sky more blue. If I can dream of a better land where all my brothers walk hand in hand, tell me why. This is the best Elvis oh, song I've ever heard. Oh, why can't my dream come true? Oh, why? All right, order in the court. We are here against charges to Elvis Presley <laughs> as a man accused of stealing black R&B music and spreading it to white people to make money. We shall now hear statements from the defendants. Thanks, Your Honor. Uh, this is really a privilege to come up here and uh, explain to the people how Elvis was truly a man that loved music, loved gospel music, and was really just taking the influences of Beale Street around him and uh, spreading it to the wider audience. We have a statement here from Mr. B.B. King who says, Music is owned by the whole universe. It isn't exclusive to the black man or the white man or any other color. It is shared in and by our souls. I told Elvis once and he told me, he remembered I told him this, is that music is like water. Water is for every living person and every living thing. Is it time for my response, Your Honor? <laughs> do we have do we have the the whatever it's called? Accusers? Yeah, no, I'd say I agree I I think that that can be true and it it can also be true that he is a appropriating artist white artists using black music and becoming popular because he's white and not necessarily him, but the industry around him. Yeah. I I still would argue that the industry is who you should blame. I think he's, yeah. he seems pretty genuine. I believe but, it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. If, right. Do you think people are attacking Elvis? I think people try to cancel Elvis in a way that's a little ignorant of like the actual situation. I could see that. So what would you say about Jack? Jack Harlow or or like because I feel like or Jack, Eminem I mean would you yeah. cancel Eminem yeah well or, I feel like so much more will, accepting yeah of contemporary examples 
Eh, okay, I'll give some credit to but, Elvis, but that was the best Elvis song I've ever heard. So that was all the evidence all I right, needed. But I just had to state back. that for the fact that it could it could both be true. Like he could be he could be benefiting from being white and also kind of appropriating Definitely. a culture that you know but is he kind of exploiting that he's sound. white, or is are other people exploiting him, or is Tom Hanks white? exploiting him? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway, all right, jump it back. I just had to do a bit. Yeah, we'll sorry to take to your bit spot. serious, but I had to, uh, I had to present my counter argument. No, I think it's fair. All right, jump it back. I mean, he gave his Christmas special to like Dream of a World, where people hold hand in hand. And speaking of which, weaving webs to Mavis Staples, active civil rights activist, who has a song called the MLK Song. Yeah, exactly. If I can dream of a warmer sun where hope keeps shining, oh, everyone tell me why. Oh, why? Oh, why won't that sun appear? Good horns. We're lost in a cloud. With too much rain We're trapped in a world That's trouble with pain But as long as a man Has the strength to dream He can redeem his soul And fly So this is his 1968 comeback special which is like uh, 12 years after his first record. So this is pretty deep in his career. Damn. Career longevity. Theme of the episode. All right, passing it. All right, let me let me do my final statement in the trial before we officially (laughs) pass it back. Well, I just want to make it clear: like, I don't think that certain people can't play certain types of music. Like, obviously, music is universal. Wait, wait, wait! Order in the court. (laughs) Objection. (laughs) Anyways, long story short, music is obviously universal. CTC proves that we weave webs through all different types of people. BB King proved it, and whatever quote you read. And Elvis is obviously talented and stuff. And I believe your case that he loves music and that he's good at music. But it can also be true that like the hoopla surrounding him and like essentially race is a factor in Elvis, just like it is in Eminem. But it doesn't necessarily mean like Elvis is a terrible person. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, beyond race, I'll even say that like genre 
is just a racial sort of construct originally. Um, I forget what book I was reading, but they basically made the argument that genres were invented by like white radio execs to sell popular black music to white people. Yeah. I mean, so that's true. Like there's just really a racist no reason industry. for, there's no reason for categorization at all or like genres at all. Yeah. Other um, than to sell people something. I mean, you or, see it too with like Lil Nas X isn't considered country or it's like black artists are kept off country charts and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or people like Jack Harlow, it's like white ex- or it, executives know they can sell like white rap, especially in this yeah. day and age and stuff. So he's anyway, the classic example of like we- mediocre white male who's just thriving. Yeah. But speaking of Tom Hanks in a fat suit, uh, we mediocre white male Tom Hanks who's <laughs> thriving. We left off with the weight. Uh, the <laughs> that should <laughs> have been speaking of Tom Hanks in a fat suit. We left off with the weight. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, put the load speaking, on me. Yeah, the weight could also be you know, moving something around, sending something, maybe sending the weight through the mail. Uh, could go into please, Mister Postman which I think is a great song that every time I see a mailman, male person with headphones on, I just imagine that they're singing Please Mr. Postman to themselves. But we're launching into Doughboy's Cash Out, the mailman, Carl Malone. about Eminem, Doughboy's Cash Out from Detroit. Talking about underrated artists who've had long careers that don't probably get the respect they deserve, like Memphis as a city. So, you know, connecting, you send me to the weight, sending the weight like Carl Malone Carl Malone played for the Utah Jazz podcast is jazz nice yeah I don't even know what style of music speaking of genre like this would be classified as but I just know this group is from Detroit and kind of like local heroes, influential, and has a, just kind of a crazy sound. What year is this? I think it's 2009. But I feel like they've been around forever. Yeah, 
Carl Malone got his nickname the mailman in college at Louisiana Tech because the mailman always delivers. Nice. He's in the post doing post rock. Oh yeah, I might be wrong, but I don't know if Payroll Giovanni, who was like, I don't know if he was from Du Bois Cash Out. Minus five points. Gotta go to Cali, see a man about a dog in the valley. Song is written for me. Feels like if you combine like D4L and Bay Area music, like, yeah, tracks a million. I feel like a lot of kind of like regional music sounded like that, especially too. Speaking of Memphis, like Soldier Boy, and kind of like the internet era when mm. uh, music, kind of like you're saying, you know, genre stopped. Genre still exists, but it stopped existing a little bit when the internet came out and different styles kind of blended together. Like, I feel like I meet people our age from all around the world who grew up on Bay Area hip hop, whereas you probably weren't doing that unless you were going to like obscure record stores or getting records somehow from the Bay or like grew up in the Bay mm-hmm. in a certain mm-hmm. era. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. We benefited from LimeWire and all of And even internet. YouTube by sure. which was like 2007. Yeah. Then you're seeing music videos from all over the place or even pre YouTube. Like Soldier Boy yeah. posting videos of him walking around Walmart and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I'm sending it back. All right. Well, just like Carl Malone, I'm going to deliver you my next connection here. <laughs> hey, you stole uh, my line. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, I'm kidding. Great. Great line. Five points. All right. So uh, I think we've exonerated Elvis. We'll still give him 50 hours of community service. Um, he definitely had a taste for the lavish in a way that I think maybe he was. I haven't fully exonerated money. Elvis. I'll, I'll allow it, but I haven't fully exonerated by money, it. women, and girls. But uh, I'd like to bring to the stand the next musical Uh-oh. groove on trial here. Oh, we no. have the Carter family who are Ooh. up for crimes against stealing music from poor white people. Oh. <laughs> Uh, so basically, I don't know if you know much about the Carter family, but they would go around to uh, various towns in like North Carolina or Virginia and like the Appalachian area 
and uh, they would basically ask people if they had any songs that they wanted them to learn, and then they would go off and play them on the radio or record Ooh, they're, them. They're white, just to get out of the way, right? Yeah, they're white. They're I just white. looked them up. I was like, I thought you were talking about uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce. I was like, stealing no, no, music sorry. from poor white. <laughs> the just turn it into a white, supremi- <laughs> a white supremacist podcast. <laughs> no, okay, sorry. This is like in the 30s. Like Lee, oh, you're wearing This Yeezys. is um, June Carter, who married Johnny Cash. This is her parents. Oh, they're considered okay. like one of the first interesting you know, country music groups that popularized American folk music. But I don't see much of a difference in terms of stealing people's music and recording it uh, between the Carter family and Elvis. But let's jump into one of the uh, gospel hymns they've made famous. This is Can the Circle Be Unbroken? Ooh. The Carter family. Love it. I was standing by the window on one cold and cloudy day, and I saw the hearse come rolling for to carry my mother away. Oh, can the circle be unbroken by and by, Lord, by and by? So the head of this family band was A.P. Carter, and he basically would just go around town to town. He'd write the lyrics down, and then he had this guitar player basically memorize the chord progressions and the licks, and then they so would, would he go just say like, on the radio. He'd just find people playing and be like, hey, just play me like whatever song you're playing these days. Yeah, I believe, I think I was watching the Ken Burns documentary, and I think they exchanged, a lot of times they'd exchange like, chores they would do chores on these people's farms and stuff in exchange for learning the songs and then going recording them i was gonna say because that's kind of what music is you know it's like like recorded music is almost the problem because before recorded music music was just passed on by you know face to face and it's like i'm playing this song like even back to you know medieval days it's like someone's like playing the song on the little lute or whatever it is the turkish instrument and then it's like baglama five points for yeah. baglama yeah uh, and then like someone's like oh you played that let me play that and, like they didn't even write it down we did a whole podcast about this called recorded history of music that will come out at some point <laughs> but it's kind of like you can't really steal music you know hey it's like it's, water yeah. Like we're essentially stealing music by playing songs. I think you just exonerated Elvis. I no. <laughs> I'm saying that can be true, but there can also be. Let the record show. <laughs> like that can be true, but there can also be a racial component in context Definitely. that Definitely. is valid as well. So they were famous for their harmonies. I guess supposedly they were one of the first sort of country western groups to do the harmonies like this. All 
All right, I rest my case. But I think you're right that it is the industry more than the musicians. Thank you. That's but, all I've tried to argue, Your Honor. But the musicians are caught up in it. So I'm going to give you one point, final ruling. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And I'd like to announce that I am um, moving on to my next connection. All right. If you'll send it back. Take us home. So taking us home on the country roads, Carl Malone, the mailman, uh, wrestled in a world championship wrestling WCW match. Wait, in really? 1998 at Bash at the Beach. So everyone look up that video while you're looking up Mavis Staples and Wilco. Um, he body slammed Hulk Hogan. Amazing. He teamed up with Diamond Dallas Page and he fought against Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rodman in a tag team match. And they lost. Carmelo lost. But that leads me into another wrestler. Some might call him the nature boy, Ric Flair. Whoa. And this is Ric Flair's theme song, Also Sprach Zarastrutra by Richard Strauss. Woo! Wait, let me start that over. Gotta hear the woo. This song also infamously used in 2001 Space Odyssey. Opening scene. Composed by Richard Strauss, 1896. German composer. Known as the successor of Wagner and Liszt, according to a Wikipedia article I just pulled up. And this piece was inspired by Nietzsche. Is this like 1800s? Yeah, Nietzsche's novel, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Zarathustra. Typical performance lasts a half hour, so we're locked in here for the next half hour. Nice. So I'll just say that... I feel like anyone who doesn't like professional wrestling or doesn't get it, you have to see it live. I felt like that totally changed the game for me, and I totally understand now why people like it. It's just like music. I mean, I was always like, I hate music. And then I saw it live, and I was like, oh, I like music now. <laughs> Recorded music is what ruined everything. We shouldn't be recording a live art form. Speaking of uh, the weight, you send me sending sending the weight through the mail. 
talking about the Staples the Staples singers, aka the Crypto.com singers. Uh-huh. Basically, one time my friend sent me Molly through the mail from Silk Road, and I've never done Molly. That's a bad story. I may edit this out. Did you hear this song when you're on Molly? No, I've never done Molly, but I was like, my friend was visiting me and wanted Molly for Coachella and sent it to me in the mail. And I was just really freaking out about it because I didn't want to get arrested or something. Didn't know how the, the dark web worked. And so I just said, you know, use a fake name. And then it showed up with my name on it. That's a bad story. I'm going to edit that out. It's funnier in my head. Hey, but you can say any boring story over that song yeah, and it will sound kind of good. Sounded epic. That should actually be a series of things where it's, you know, the story where you typically end it in, then I found $5 or whatever. Like that story uh-huh. that is completely meaningless to anyone else uh-huh. and then drags on for, for too long. That could be a series of like that song playing and people just tell you boring stories and see if it makes it interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, as we know from film scores... Music makes everything better, as we know from podcasts. As we know from film scores, <laughs> as we know from podcasts, music makes everything better. Sending it back. Nice. Give you a thousand points for that. All right, we are coming into the home stretch here, talking about the Carter family and their quest to steal all of the songs from the people of Appalachia. Well, they were so successful that actually one of the first songs that the staple singers ever performed was will this circle be unbroken um mavis talked about how they got their start singing gospel songs although she grew up in chicago um, her dad was from mississippi and i think part of their unique sound the staple singers was because her father kind of combined delta blues with gospel music in this cool way um, but in honor of her gospel roots, I went with Mavis Staples, daughter of a preacher man. Nice. Willie Ray was a preacher's son, and when his daddy would visit, he'd come along. Wait, did you mean to say daughter? Yeah, she's the daughter of a preacher man. Oh, I got you. Minus 100 to me. Also tying back into this episode, this song was originally recorded by Dusty Springfield who has an album called Dusty in Memphis Hey I feel like it's like her voice doesn't have it's not like a ton of range it's kind of in that middle zone I don't know what it is but I like it Well I was listening to a documentary where she talked about 
when she first started performing on the radio, they thought she was a man with a really high voice. I could see that. And they were blown away that she was like a 16-year-old girl or whatever. I feel like Amy Winehouse was definitely appropriating Mavis Staples. Yeah, totally. That one you'll agree with. Appropriating Barbara Streisand. You're just a sweet talking son of a preacher man. Great song choice. Always brings the energy. Are you sending it back? Yeah, send it back. All right. We left off with Ric Flair's theme song, The Nature Boy, Ric Rick Flair. There is a song on Big Star's album called Nature Boy, which I was reading up a little bit on. I don't know how much you know about uh, Nature Boy, who wrote uh that song that they covered and i guess he was a hippie who lived under the hollywood sign and was kind of an iconic original hippie Um, but we're not going into that we're going into another song because i'm referencing we left off with uh hang on rick let me remind you we left off uh we left off with this song which is a tone poem by this composer. And uh, I'm using my John Cale get out of free jail free card, going into another song. Nice. Uh, originally composed by someone who was in with composers who we've talked about a lot on the podcast, John Cale. Wow. And we mentioned it already. The song was actually written by Lou Reed. And as the Lou Reed of the podcast, I just got to <laughs> launch into... Big Star's rendition of Femme Fatale. Nice. Featuring all men, even though the original is Nico, just for the record there. Steve Cropper on guitar. All right, you win the episode. Son of a preacher man, daughter of a preacher man. We got a guy singing this one. Also, that Elliot Smith vibe. Oh, yeah. A shaky voice, Jeff Tweedy. She's gone to break your heart in two. It's true. I can almost see like post rock kind of being influenced by them, too, where it's. They almost break it down. Especially on this, like, little guitar riffs. John Cale played bass on the original. Alright, that settles it. John Cale plays bass, I mean. Piano and bass. Number 
Yeah, I was surprised by this album overall. Just like you said, how it kind of changed genres a little bit every time, and, but had this kind of rock and yeah. feel. And especially for the what year did this come out? So I think it was recorded in like '75, but came out in '78. It definitely feels ahead of its time. Yes, it's true. Yeah. I saw like you were saying that some people thought Big Star wasn't or like this isn't really a Big Star album. I guess they originally wrote on the session files or something that they were named with Sister Lovers, which I thought was funny, but like that might have been a joke, but that kind of became the secondary name for it. Yeah. So I was trying to weave in Tattoo all the things she said because <laughs> I felt like there's a debate when they came out like are they sisters or are they lesbians nice and apparently they weren't either they were just Russian two, two singers who got put together and then kind of played up the mystery of their sexuality and they are Russian right yeah Russian but that was a hit they were the femme fatales to each other. Wow. Closing out the episode. Awesome job, Will. You know, we had on this episode a lot of laughs, a lot of cries, a lot of jokes, a lot of, uh, I'm not going to use these pre-built I was going to say, we can never use these ever again now. <laughs> yeah. For the record, I just want to say, no one cares what I think anyways. No one listens to this anyways, as John Cale says in the opening thing. But... I hope I didn't talk out of my ass too much. I think the jury has ruled you've been acquitted of any charges of Talking out of my ass. <laughs> talking out of your ass. We have video evidence that he used his mouth. <laughs> but I don't know. It is an audio podcast. We can never know. Anyways, thanks for listening. Email us. We'll see us. you next week for songs that make you want to fight. <laughs> and we'll Venmo you will $1. Good night. <laughs> I forgot we ended with this. Bookends, baby. You know how some people do a Patreon for people who pay? We should just do a every episode's like two hours, but we put an hour of silence and then the extra podcast at the end. <laughs> You know what would be actually really sick is if the last hour was just a mix. <laughs> <laughs>